0: Welcome to Onco Farm. I'm your host, John Bizarre. I'm a professor of pharmacy practice here at our supporting sponsor, ETSU's Bill Gatt, Culture Pharmacy. It is the Ides of February, 2024, and I've got um, three things to talk about today. The first thing, getting right into it, is Napoli 3, which was presented um, at one of the big, uh, I don't know if it's ASCO GI or ASCO itself or ESMO, but was one of what a lot of people talked about, not a lot of people, some people said, uh, on uh, online that this was a one of the more important studies presented at that meeting, and I looked at it, and I was like, uh, I don't know. Well, anyway, the reason I'm talking about it is this is uh, a regimen of liposomal uh plus 5-FU plus oxaliplatin, they're calling this uh, nilirifox, and that was FDA approved in the first-line setting for metastatic pancreatic cancer. So we're going to look at this pivotal study, which was published in um, Um, September of 2023. So a couple things about, in general, and I have a a podcast, I'm gonna say two years ago, which means it was probably four years ago, uh, going over kind of the history of metastatic pancreatic cancer treatment. So first we had gemcitabine was better than 5-FU and that uh, was established based on the primary endpoint of quality of life, but also showed an overall survival benefit. And that median OS was like six to seven months, okay? And then we get gemcitabine plus nabpaclitaxel, phase three study more than a decade ago, beat gemcitabine with a median OS of nine versus seven months roughly. And then we get Fulfurinox versus gemcitabine showing a median OS of like 11 and a half months versus seven and a half months. So an easy way to think of it is we have had three first line regimens for metastatic pancreatic cancer. Fulfirinox, for those with the best performance status, so maybe your ECOG performance at zero. Gemabraxane, which is better than gemcitabine, um, but, uh, you know, at least if you do a cross-trial comparison, not as effective as Fulfirinox. 11 months plus or minus versus 9 months plus or minus, median overall survival. And then you have gemcitabine by itself, maybe for your ECOG two, uh, You know, it does have some quality of life benefit, certainly, but is you know, certainly appears to be the least effective. And we're doing that dangerous cross-trial comparison, but both Fulfirinox and gemibraxane have both been compared to the same active comparator of Gemcitamine. Um, Now we're not supposed to do this, but everyone's kind of said Fulfirinox is gonna be what we give to folks, the fittest folks with metastatic pancreatic cancer. And then you have Gemabraxane for progression or those that you don't feel good about their performance status. Um, But Fulfirinox has not been compared to Gemabraxane in a randomized study. And it still has not What we have here is uh, nilofirox, which is liposomal ironatecan plus 5-FU plus oxide versus gemabraxane. That's Napoli-3. Um, the dosing of 5-FU in nilofirox is the same as fulfirinox. The oxaloplatin dose is lower at 60 compared to 85 in fulfirinox. And then we can't make a comparison of the liposomal ironatecan dose The Ironatecan dose really in fulfox, different drugs, not interchangeable. However, the the liposomal ironitikan dose in natal is 50 milligrams per meter squared, which is lower than the liposomal ironitikan dose in its initial approval in conjunction with 5-FU and Leucovorm, which is 70 milligrams per meter squared. So when you use this liposomal ironitikan plus other myelosuppressive agents, the dose is lower. The first thing um, I do want to talk about here uh, is when when you read a study like this, you want to kind of be careful of the hype right so the hype here is that liposomal iron has uh, has greater um in this case fivefold fold greater um, accumulation or distribution of the active metabolite of iron tecan sn38 into the tumor cells than conventional iron tekan. so it should be five times better okay that's that's the hype going into this um and there is a, a phase two study uh with now where the median os it's at maybe it's a phase one b2 study but the median OS was 12.6 months, okay? And I've already mentioned that, you know, Jim Abraxane, you know, the, the, the pivotal study was like a median OS of 9 months. So they designed this study, assuming that the Naliferox arm will have a median OS of 12 months and that Jim Abraxane will have a median OS of 9 months. And that you, they would need 750 patients to detect a hazard ratio of 0.75, so when you look at your stats plan or you're doing you know, a journal club and you have your stats slide, you've got to have multiple numbers on that stat slide. You want to have your sample size. In this case, the power was 90% to detect the effect size, which is that hazard ratio of 0.75, which you can think of as a 25% effect size. Okay? It's not exactly a 25% effect size, but we'll dumb it down and simplify it for me. And that, <laughs> that's kind of the design here. All right, So we need 750 patients to detect a modest improvement in the risk of death over time with malopharox. So if we cut to what they did, they, um, they quote, uh, the planned sample size was 750 patients and quote, could be increased if a review of the accumulating overall survival events suggested that the timing of the final analysis be extended. So they're saying if it's looking close, that's what it sounds like to me, we can add more people. All right, This is very much like if the Super Bowl is tied between the Chiefs and the Niners, you go to overtime, and the Chiefs won, and so they win the Super Bowl. But you'd be hard pressed to push me to say the Chiefs are definitely better than the Niners. Are pretty evenly matched, okay? And the Chiefs made some better plays down the stretch. All right, all right. So we end up, uh, they end up enrolling 770 patients in this study. Most of these folks are 63 or 64. 42% ECOG zero, uh, 58% ECOG one. You could argue that the 43% getting nab Paclitaxel, gemcitabine would not be given that in the U.S. They probably would get full uh, This study was done across America only 30% in uh, or across the world only 30% in North America, and we see uh, a median OS of 11.1 months with nalfirox. They thought they would get to 12, 11.1 in nalfirox, and a median OS of 9.2 months with nab paclitaxel. And Jim Sidebein about what they thought that hazard ratio is 0.83 with a p value and the 95 or the 95% confidence interval 0.7 to 0.99 doesn't cross one p value 0.36 is statistically like significant boom now they enrolled 770 patients and so what we have here is is a, is an example of you know when we talk about is it statistically significant yes is it clinically significant maybe not okay. So a, a classic example is if you're looking at two groups of patients on warfarin, and one group is given uh, placebo, one group is given a drug, and you're seeing is there a drug interaction that increases the INR. One group may have an INR on placebo of 2.4, and the group getting the drug that might interact then has an average INR of 2.6. And that's statistically significant, say, if you have enough people. Is it statistically significant? Yeah. Is it clinically significant? I mean, 2.4 and 2.6 are pretty darn close. It probably doesn't make a difference clinically, right? Probably not a clinically relevant uh, interaction there. And so we have here a hazard ratio of 0.83. You know, Naliferex does improve overall survival compared to, to nab-paclitaxel and, and gemcitamine. But it's not a huge improvement in median overall survival. If it is, it's pretty small. Uh, you know, the cost of liposomal irinotecan um, uh, is like $7,000 a dose, roughly. And conventional irinotecan is probably 200 bucks. Uh, if you just look at a cast price, so um, if you were to do fullfurnox, would would it you know, that hasn't been compared to Um You also had, you know, a ton, 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 ton more diarrhea with Nalfirox, uh compared to uh, gymbraxane. If you just look at the um, the publication, they say twenty percent versus five percent, that's grade three or four diarrhea. All diarrhea is seventy one percent versus thirty seven percent. So a lot more diarrhea for these patients. Um, and, and this is a, you know, an example of something we don't talk a lot about when we critique primary literature, but this is an example maybe to say that it's overpowered. They have so many patients, you do see a statistically significant result, but it's modest. It's not even a 20% improvement in overall survival. And usually we would not power a study to detect uh, a, a, you know, a minor improvement like that. Now, Nalphirox does have longer survival on average than Jimabraxane. Does that mean that Naliferox should be used instead of Fulferinox? I don't think so. Not based on this. If it had, if had you know, doubled the overall survival, then I would be impressed. This, <clears throat> I'm not impressed. All right, so that's Na- Napoli 3. <clears throat> the next study I want to talk about is the POUT study, which uh, is either named after my preteen daughter hearing no uh, at bedtime, uh, when she's supposed to go to bed, um, and only wants to stay up later to, to watch TV or do something. Uh, or POW is post-operative urothelial tract uh, treatment. So this is actually a, a follow-up um, to what was a pivotal clinical trial that I missed. Uh, you know, going back, we don't have data to use drugs in patients who have muscle-invasive urethelial carcinoma in the upper urothelial tract, so in the ureter, the renal pelvis, et cetera. We have a lot of data in bladder cancer, urothelial carcinoma with the bladder, but not in the upper tract so we didn't really know what to do and we had the pout study was actually published on march 5th 2020. i don't know what's happening in march of 2020 how i could have missed this publication coming out but jco has put out you know kind of the update of this the final overall survival results and so i'll be brief with this but the five-year disease-free survival improvement was 45 percent with surveillance to 62 percent in those who received four cycles of a platinum and gemcitabine and they could have either received cisplatin or Uh, Carboplatin, um, about two-thirds got cis, one-third got carboplatin. So you have a a 62% versus 45%. That's an absolute improvement in a five-year disease-free survival, a 17%. It's a really large impact size, all right? And that's disease-free survival. Now, once they saw the statistically significant disease-free survival, you have a... um, the study then is unblinded because there's benefit. You can't ethically let these people on surveillance not get the option of chemotherapy. And that's gonna neuter some of our overall survival results. But our five-year overall survival results are 66% with adjuvant chemo versus 57% with surveillance. So that delta is 9%, which is still pretty robust. That's a number you need to treat of 11 to keep one person alive five years later. Now, that hazard ratio is 0.68. 95% confidence in real is 0.4621. P value 0.049 which is not statistically significant because it's it wasn't the primary endpoint so unlike napoli 3 which did have a statistically significant improvement i'm not as impressed with the results of napoli 3 but i am very impressed with the re- results of pout because even though we don't have a statistically significant improvement overall survival we know that this by the end of the study was not powered well enough for overall survival, we see robust improvement of disease-free survival. And so now adjuvant chemotherapy for upper tract urothelial cancer is gonna be, uh, and probably has been, standard of care. So uh, these two studies, I think, illustrate some of the nuance in critiquing the primary literature. And it's not as simple as just looking at a p-value. All right, the last study I wanna talk about is, uh, I'm always excited about this, this is, we have a pharmacist, as uh, Ashley Dinn as the primary author, and Caitlin Roush from MD Anderson, and Leukemia Group as the the corresponding author. Uh, and th- I love I love studies like this, because ivacidinib comes out, uh, you know, it's the IDH1 inhibitor, uh, initially for AML, and, you know, the PI says that avoid use with sensitive 3A4 substrates. It's uh, expected to decrease the AUC of sensitive 3 4 substrates, but Almost every drug, when it's first approved, we can see what it does to midazolam, which is a sensitive 3A4 probe. So we can see, all right, it reduces the AUC of midazolam 20%, 25%, 75%, that gets you an idea how potent of an inducer it is. We didn't really know that with ivacidinib. Uh, just in the last couple of years, there was a publication of a modeling study where they estimate that the, the AUC is gonna go down by like 70 plus percent of midazolam, but we didn't have any patient level data. Until this publication where they're looking at ivocidinib in patients um, also getting boriconazole uh, or postconazole, which we tend to monitor levels to make sure there's, they're not subtherapeutic and risking a breakthrough fungal infection or supertherapeutic and risking toxicity, especially with boriconazole. So, um, <clears throat> you know, this is a an observational study, 31 patients, uh, and they got 78 levels and 60% of them were subtherapeutic. Uh, and that's, a lot higher than what they see in patients when they were not on ivermectinib with their their voriconazole or their uh, with their um, postconazole. So as of today, my guess is if you do a drug drug interaction check in your favorite drug drug interaction checker, there will be a very superficial flagging of an ivermectinib voriconazole interaction, or maybe it won't. But after the folks, after the humans that work for these companies. Uh, after the study comes across the radar. This will then be flagged and it'll be in there. And it uh, seems to be the, the the thing to do is, you know, you, you can't necessarily avoid this interaction if you think these folks are at risk for invasive fungal infections, but you do need to monitor the levels. They do suggest it seems reasonable maybe to increase the dose of, of your azole antifungal. Uh, there was no um, QT prolongation concerns that they found in this study. But certainly if you're using a lot of ivocidinib and voriconazole or Posaconazole, it's worth... Clicking on the link uh, in the uh, the show notes to to get this article for yourselves to uh, to inform your care because now we have more information and that's that's wonderful and that's uh, why the podcast is here hopefully is to, you know to share that information with those who need it well thank you for listening. Uh, you can follow me on the app, formerly known as Twitter, at FarmDeetNip. And you can follow the podcast on both X, Instagram, and threads at Uncle Farm pod And until I talk to you again, remember, Joseph's Matter.